We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, Herbstats fans. Welcome to another Unplugged episode. Right after this little message, you will hear our full live stream recording with Ken Pomeroy and Aaron Barsley chatting about the new NCAA net ratings, um, how that might impact the women's game, and some more information on that. We just wanted to publish a quick correction. During the live stream, we talk kind of interchangeably about the net rating and then the adjusted net efficiency that's available on the Google Cloud Data Studio for NCAA basketball. Just wanted to clarify that the adjusted net efficiency is just one part of the net rating. So it, the net rating is made up of two parts, that adjusted net efficiency and then the team value index. So the graphic we show on our live stream and talk about during the podcast where we talk about uh, a comparison of our ratings, with the net rating, it's not the net rating itself. It's just that adjusted net efficiency portion. Thanks for listening to that clarification and enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, welcome to the Her Hoops Dads Unplugged podcast with Megan Gower as always and live on Twitter for the first time. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We're super excited today because we've got a special guest, uh, Ken Pomeroy, here with us from KenPom.com. If you're not familiar with it, uh, I think Aaron and I are both longtime fans, longtime subscribers, so super excited to have Ken on with us talking about the net and everything else that happened with that this week. Uh, welcome, Ken. Yeah, hello. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate being on and uh, kind of uh, an exciting time here for the, the women's game, ditching the RPI, so we can all... Uh, Celebrate that, I guess, a little bit. Definitely. And then also here, uh, as frequently with Aaron Barzilai. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? Yeah, I am doing well. It's so great to uh, see you, Megan. It's been a while since we did our uh, initial live stream, I guess, for the WNBA draft. And Ken, it's really good to have you on. I really, really appreciate you joining us. Good to be here. So, uh, yeah, I always chuckle. Uh, uh, you know, I, I enjoy calling you a friend, even though we probably only met in person once, maybe twice. My wife always chuckles that uh, I tend, you know, if I 
talked to someone a few times like, oh, yeah, we go way back. But actually, <laughs> I guess we probably known each other for, um, I was thinking it must be more than 10 years, right? Sure, That's definitely yeah. a Sloan conference uh, very early on. And uh, I just really appreciate your uh, advice and really support for her hoop stats all along the way. You were like one of the very first people I spoke to when I thought about it. And the fact, uh, you know, you've been so successful at Ken Palm really was a key part of, um, you know, I don't know if it's inspiration is the word, but it just really made it feel like as a role model that it was at least feasible to pursue this. So really, really appreciate that. Yeah. It's nice to see the the growth you guys have had. Like it's, uh, you know, kind of overdue for the women's game, but, uh, you know, certainly uh, a niche that needed to be filled. Definitely so. Do you feel, from where you sit, by the way, does it feel like the women's game is uh, kind of increasing in awareness and popularity? It's hard for us, I think, to tell whether our little bubble is just talking about it more and more. Um, you're, as someone that's not quite in the women's basketball bubble, um, what do you think about that? Right. Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to say, too, because I'm, like, in my own bubble during the season, obviously, focused on the men's game. So it's, uh, uh, you know... It, Obviously, the women's game is kind of, I think, followed the men's game in terms of steadily increasing in popularity over the years. Just more exposure, more games on TV. Certainly, this, the streaming options have helped. So, you know, if you want to see a, a women's game that ordinarily wouldn't have seen a lot of day before, like, there are options to see it now. So, I think those are all, like, good things for the sport. Yeah, I was pretty surprised. Um, uh, Lee Ellis from, I guess, now No Dunks Inc., but the starters are, um, uh, and all that, they... Um, he tweeted out a picture. There was like a 1986 Western Conference Finals NBA basketball game that was on like on a Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern or something. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of, you know, it's like the classic story you always hear about how the finals, the NBA finals used to be on tape delay at like 1130, weren't even live. And uh, I don't know if it was like 79 or 80. So I am hoping, and you know, people in the women's game, I think, talk about that as, uh, you know, you just got to give it time and slowly making progress. So I do hope you're right. Yep. So, Ken, one important question that uh, I had for you, I really chuckled when I saw your recent tweet that the uh, RPI is the or the IHME is the RPI <laughs> of uh, COVID models. I was wondering, do you have a, a recommendation for what's the Ken Palm of COVID models? <laughs> uh, not off the top of my head. There's, you know, there's a handful out there. I mean, I think 538 has a pretty good like kind of ensemble view of, I don't know, half a dozen different models that seem to be uh, more realistic in forecasting outcomes. So, uh I would encourage people to, to start there. Yeah, that 538 piece you've talked about, I've seen it. They kind of have some nice graphics and stuff, too. I like that one as well. It's a good one. Yeah. As always. So, yeah, so can we uh, invite you on particularly uh, today because of the excitement uh, with the uh, net and the uh, launch of that? It was great to see that it came out. I was actually talking to a friend of mine who uh worked on actually works on it um at google and uh this person was sort of i got the impression they might have even rolled it out even though it wasn't used for the um selection it wasn't going to be used this year you know they were kind of hoping to take advantage of the interest uh during the tournament uh you know the, the selection show and all sort of that so um you know can you talk uh, we'll go over what the net is a little bit i'm um, actually megan do you want to jump into that first yeah well, sure we can start with that um so <laughs> Like Aaron was saying, the NES is replacing RPI. So it's a new metric similar to RPI and that it's like a math-based metric for evaluating teams. But at least in my opinion, and I probably guess everyone on this call's opinion much better than RPI um, uses some kind of the efficiency type um, numbers that we look at on our site more and machine learning and just a little bit more advanced than your simple kind of wins and opponents wins type framework that the RPI was 
um, two components to it. The first is the adjusted net efficiency, so that's the team's offensive efficiency minus the defensive defic- efficiency. Um, so those are on a points per possession basis, and then that's adjusted for strength of schedule and location of the games as well, so home, away, and a neutral site. And then there's a team value index as well that kind of accounts for their, I think it's wins, and also the location of those wins as well. Yeah, sort of a strength of record uh, approach. So, um, yeah, basically they moved toward a machine learning model. Uh, Google built it, I guess, in working with the committee over the course of about a year, I think it took them to develop. Obviously, they were piggybacking on the work on the net uh, on the men's side. It's a machine learning uh, approach. And so uh, I was actually pretty heartened to see, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit, how uh, the ratings are quite, quite similar actually to our hoop stats ratings. So uh, it's a nice validation that uh, both we've been doing it uh, approximately right over the last few times. And then it really does just kind of speak about um, how you're making a lot of improvements in how you're ranking the teams. Now, there's a lot more that goes into the selection process than that. But, um, you know, given the experience you've had, Ken, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about it on the men's side, you know, what you've seen as the real <clears throat> benefits, how teams have adjusted on the men's side, and what we might look for in the women's game. Right. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I don't know that anybody's really, like, has affected the way the game's played or anything like that. I mean, on the men's side, um, there is one kind of notable uh difference that they had where they have a scoring margin component and they limited scoring margin to 10 points. Um, but people found out pretty quickly that the efficiency margin, which is obviously extremely closely related to scoring margin, uh, <laughs> was not capped. And so it has encouraged a way of thinking that, you know, every point matters. And so uh, even though I guess, even though the the net itself, the net ranking itself does not get you into the tournament and really isn't considered theoretically, um, you know, it's just a baseline for determining the, the quality of your resume and, and whether you have top 50 wins or top 25 wins or whatever, um, even though that is kind of the, the word out of the, the NCAA headquarters, uh, you know, the, the coaches still respond to the incentives they see in the net. And there is this kind of feeling that, you know, I need to maybe leave my starters in the game or leave my good players in the game later into the, the contest, even when it's a blowout, just so I can, you know, pad the efficiency numbers a little bit. You know, you've done so much interesting analysis over years. Have you taken a look at the percentage of minutes, say, starters have played since the net came out versus before that? I have not. That would be a good idea. I mean, I have looked at, like, the, you know, average margin of victory in conference games, and that really hasn't changed. In fact, it's even gone down slightly since that was introduced. So, you know, in practice, I think it's a lot harder to pull off that kind of thing than uh, than coaches think. Um, you know, if you're up 20 in the final minute of the game or final three minutes of the game, like, your starters are just naturally not going to be as uh, inclined to, uh, you know, try to score as much as, as they were earlier in the game, whether they – their coaches tell them to or not. So I think that's a limiting factor. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I saw that in one of the articles that they sort of explicitly said scoring margin is not a factor. But, like, yeah, my reaction was, but efficiency, you know, net rating is a factor. Uh, Or, you know, points, margin margin of victory per possession. So, like, uh, do you feel like that's really been absorbed on the men's side or not? perhaps not entirely based on what you just said? Yeah, it doesn't. It's disappointing. It doesn't seem like it. I mean, I think there's some understanding that, yeah, efficiency margin is scoring margin divided by you know pace, right? Yeah. So it's uh, it's the exact same thing, um, and that is 
you know, you mentioned how the, the net's very similar to, to your ratings. And basically, you know, you, you, if you, you know, do a least squared regression on scoring margin and create a model like that, like, you know, you're going to end up looking pretty close to the net. And so, you know, the net's very similar to my ratings as well. But the one, one difference you see is that I, I do have some sort of like diminishing returns on scoring margin, um, whereas the net does not. And so in cases where the, you know, teams, you know, we had a case this year where Utah won a game by 95 points and, uh, that was the, the yeah. largest, you know, margin of victory in a Division One game ever. And the rest of the year after that game occurred, like they were consistently, you know, ranked 20, 30 spots higher in the net than they were in my mm-hmm. system, basically because my system discounted that game heavily, whereas the net obviously did not. Yeah, yeah. This might be a good time, actually, Megan, to um, show that chart I know we have of comparing the net to ours. And I think, yeah, you make a good point. I mean, a lot of these systems are, you know, no system's perfect. Uh, you know, it is good, I think, to have lots of different looks. Um, and, you know, the most analytical systems are they're going to have somewhat similar results in terms of who they rank uh, most highly and uh, least highly. So, but yeah, I think that's definitely, there's room for improvement. We're definitely going to be working to add that to uh, her hoop stats rating, trying to be a little bit more effective. Um, hey, so I'm spying on my second screen. What's up? Um, so, Megan, do you want to walk uh, through this or should I? Um, I can start if you want and go jump ahead, in go and interrupt me whenever you want. So yeah, you'll see that like the order is pretty similar, I think, between the net rankings and then our her hoop sets rating. Uh, I think the main difference is down kind of towards the bottom. We've got Princeton at tenth in the net rating, and then um, you've got in ours Princeton is at about sixth, and South Dakota I think seventh. So um, a little bit of difference there, but you know your top five I think is that top five we kind of saw all season in general anyway, but no surprises really, Oregon, South Carolina, um, Baylor, UConn, Maryland up at the top there, and the same order on both sides. Numbers a little bit different just based on how we adjust versus how the net adjusts for strength schedule and things like that, but overall, um, same general principle there. Yeah, and I think the team, I mean, I always think people, I guess, fans, coaches, selection committee, everyone sort of anchors quite so much on like the difference between the seventh team and the eighth team, and you know, don't really kind of take to heart that these are, you know, they're estimates. There's not a ton of data, right? They don't have a ton of data points that fit into the model. And, you know, really it's just kind of giving you a sense of ranges. You do need to use those other factors. Um, you know, what do you, what's been a gear experience, Ken, on the men's side about how much they anchor to, you know, what the old RPI number was and seeing a distinction between 12 and 13 um, as well as, um, yeah, from now within that. Right. So, I, you know, I guess, I don't know if it's different in the women's game, but in the men's game, you know, the, the, Ranking of the net is not material to your your tournament, uh, you know, selection. It's it's using the net as a foundation to establish the what they call the quadrants, which is kind of an annoying right. term and a, a misnomer <laughs> in some sense. But uh, um, you know, basically the buckets for whether you have a top fifty win or a top one hundred win. So whether you're twelfth or thirteenth is you know of no consequence to your tournament chances. It's you know uh, whether you have you know a good record against the top 25 or a good record against the top 50, you know, that's theoretically what, what matters most, at least according to the selection committee. And what's your take on the quadrant system? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's fine. Like it's <laughs> ideally, you know, I mean the whole kind of, uh, 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 I don't know, absurdity of all of the net of, of really the system on the men's side is that, you know, you have this ranking, uh, of the net and 
uh, it's one of the only like rankings I know of where you're not supposed to, you know, just what we're talking about here, you're not supposed to really consider the actual ranking of the team. So teams rank 12th, you mm-hmm. know, it's irrelevant. Like we have to look at the resume and it just makes it the, pro- the process uh, much more convoluted than it needs to be. Like we should ultimately come up with a ranking that just determines who gets in, like who has the best resume. That's um, very simple to do. But uh, for some reason we have this very convoluted system and, you know, it involves the quadrants. And if you're going to have a convoluted system, I mean, the quadrants are, fine i guess for that purpose but uh hopefully in the next uh you know the next big change for the ncaa on the men's side will be to just come up with a ranking that we can use without having to have these team sheets and look at individual results and and you know i see the women's criteria and there's like you know what 15 things on there or whatever that they're supposed to look at and it, it just shouldn't shouldn't be that complicated like it's not that complicated on the other sport like why is it complicated so complicated for NCAA basketball. So what is your philosophy on who should make the tournament? Do you really think it should be, you know, some agreed to formula? And, you know, one question I always have related to that is, do you think it should be essentially predictions for who's most likely to win? And so at some level, you know, the Vegas odds for who Vegas, you know, if you think that's going to be the best prediction, um, or do you think it should be more kind of looking backwards? Essentially, you think it should be a looking backward approach or a looking forward approach? Yeah, it should be based on your accomplishment. I mean, that's why we watch the game. We watch the game to see teams win and lose. And, the, you know, the Vegas spreads are not based on whether a team wins or loses. Loses, it's based on the team's, you know, ability and uh, how dominant they've been in past games and things like that. But uh, to me, you know, that's not – we don't – you know, we don't watch a game to see whether a team wins by eight or 12. You know, we watch to see for the outcome, and that's why players play, and that's the strategy that is implemented is to try to, you know, to give you the best chance to win the game. So, uh, to me, you know, team selection should be entirely based on – a team's accomplishment based on wins and losses and, uh, you know, obviously strength, uh, strength of those wins and losses as well, but, um, uh, but not, you know, not anything else. You don't think efficiency margin? Like I would think that you, you know, I think winning by eight consistently is different than winning by 18 consistently. It is for sure. Um, but are we going to now play the game just to see who scores the most points? Are we just not going to care about wins at that point? I mean, to me, we, the wins matter and the outcome matters. And if you win a game by eight or win a game by 18, you won that game. And I think to me that that's all that should be considered really in this. It's an interesting, interesting. point of view. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an interesting way to look at it. Just look at, I mean, I think everyone always gets, especially in the women's game, because you kind of have every year, most of these teams at the top that, you know, blow up opponents by 50 some points and, you know, like weaker schedule games and stuff. So looking at it for more of just a win or lose is an interesting way to put it not putting so much emphasis on kind of that huge scoring margin some of those teams have. I mean, most of the time those, you know, those teams are going to be the same. Like if you're yeah, 32 and one or whatever, and it's a good schedule, you've probably won a lot of games by a lot of points. Like you don't, you don't get to that record by, by a lot of luck. But I mean, generally speaking, I still think, I'd, you know, we should be playing to win the game, you know, in Herb Edwards' uh, famous words and not, uh, playing to win by 20 or 15 or really care what that margin is, you know, at the end. Huh. That's interesting. I definitely, I'm not sure that I'm a hundred percent with you there. I totally get your point about wins. I think we should definitely kind of attenuate it. so You don't get maybe twice as much credit for a 95 point win as a 47 point win or whatever. But um, I I do think there's information there. Um, What's your take on how, so uh, I know, Megan, I think you were showing the 14 different criteria, which are are quite a lot. I think that's sort of the way the women's committee um, kind of tries to think through what they are doing in terms of, you know, balancing it and using the 
the RPI and now the net as a, as a sorting tool, but then really asking these different questions. You know, it is pretty interesting. Uh, if you want to show that, Megan, you know, some of them a little bit. I, one thing I did take away from the mock selection exercise is that, um, you know, some of them are a little bit in conflict because, you know, it's like conference records included, but so is non-conference record. And so are they equally important? Because that's just overall record, which is another one of the 14. Um, and so, and, I, you know, I thought LaChina did a really good job in her Around the Rim uh, podcast where they were, you know, they met with the NTA and, you know, had a chance for uh, them to sort of explain their process. You know, one thing they highlighted is that, you know, different members of the committee might value some of these uh, 14 uh, different uh, criteria differently um, than others. And so someone might really care about, you know, road wins and someone else might only care about conference record. And, you know, they try to really emphasize, which I do think is important is the consistency, but it's not like there's one guideline where they could just have one person apply the guideline and say, yes, the guidelines been applied direct correctly. And, you know, this is the order. Yeah. Does that like bother you at all? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mike, have you been to the mock selection exercise for the men's side? I feel like I've heard you have. Uh, no. I would pull my hair out if I went. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I think my takeaway is it's an imperfect system, you know, um, and there's a lot of uh, people like to haggle more on the men's side, I think, than on the women's side. And it's a me- as a measure of the growth of the women's game that people are paying more attention to all of these uh, decisions being made by the by the selection committee. But there's no doubt that everyone's going in there with the best of intentions. They're definitely watching a ton of games. You know, each member of the committee is assigned different conferences they're monitoring and so they're really trying to track uh stuff but at the same time you know because there's these 14 questions um 14 sorry uh criteria they you know there's the opportunity even if you're trying to be consistent uh, unlike sort of the approach you outlined earlier ken you know you might still run the risk of being wowed by you know one particular element for one particular team and then valuing it so um you know with all of this right with the net i'm you know it's not going to be perfect you know, our Fed's rating isn't perfect either, but, you know, they've done, you know, a lot of work. I think they spent about a year, lots of meetings with the committee, you know, on topics that I think, you know, they're not, you know, they bring in Google because, you know, they're the data experts, but it's important to the committee to understand the criteria. So, you know, yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of questions and I think there's still some risk, you know, like the question, you know, one thing that was interesting this year was the discussion of Baylor, right? They lost for a while. They'd only lost one game. Um, and it was the South Carolina when Lauren Cox was injured and it was like back in November. And so it's a really interesting question. You know, how much does that count? And, you know, there's a lot of debate. I think South Carolina felt they didn't get full credit, um, whereas they, um, South Carolina felt they would have beaten them regardless of whether Cox had played or not. Yeah, I, I don't know how it is on the women's side in terms of scheduling, but I guess a lot of these issues to me, you know, there's a lot of like inequity in terms of scheduling. And I don't even know if inequity is the right word, but certainly if you listen to, you know, anybody on any staff who's in charge of scheduling, they'll complain about the process. And to me, uh, you know, there's always this complaint about, hey, you know, mid-majors need to be able to play, you know, good teams at home and they don't have that opportunity. And to me, if we got to a system that kind of ignored that, you know, we didn't – obviously, you want to be concerned about strength of schedule, but we can obviously account for the schedule when we when we look at wins and losses and not have to worry about if you have, you know, X amount of top 25 wins or whatever. Like, to me, that would be – um, the direction to go and not have these kind of judgments about, uh, you know, playing games early versus playing games late, as I see, you know, as one of the criteria. Like, that just seems like an, an odd one because, again, you know, if you're in a, a lesser conference, obviously your your late schedule is going to be much easier than your early schedule, and then vice versa sometimes for uh, teams of power conferences. They're playing an easy schedule early on and a harder schedule later. Like, there's just so many confounding variables and all this. Like, 
to me, it just it boggles. Like that's why you know I said you know, I'd pull my hair out if I went to the mock selection committee because there's so many things to consider. Like I mean, I know I couldn't I couldn't consider all those things fairly. I wouldn't even want to try. Like I think I would just I would have an inherent bias in some way that would uh, just kind of screw up the process. And so I, that's where I would. Like, I think it's great that they, they move past the RPI and they've shown some initiative here, but the next step is really to come, you know, get to a point where we take a lot more of the kind of human judgment out of it because, I mean, I don't know any other, you know, sports league that does it that way. You know, the NBA wouldn't say, you know, hey, the eighth seed has a worse point differential than the nine seed, so we need to let the nine seed in the playoffs. Like, <laughs> you know, it just doesn't work that way. And, and I think people would go crazy if, if Adam Silver even suggested such a thing. Well, a more successful business than uh, college basketball, of course, college football. I guess they do it as well, right? Right. So the college level, yeah. I, think, I mean, all college sports basically do it that way. But outside of U.S. college sports, I'm not aware of a, a situation where there's not like an objective criteria to look at to, to select teams. Yeah, that's true. Everything else is pretty much how much did you win, how much did you lose, and that's it. <laughs> Yeah, there's even like, you know, even in high school, you know, there's some, there's, they obviously have to deal with some of those same issues with schedules and, and things like that. But as far as I know, I'm not a, maybe, I, mean, I don't know how all 50 states work. There's probably a state out there that has a selection committee for one of their tournaments, but um, it seems like even states that have like, you know, weird formulas to determine who gets in, like they just go by that formula, you know, they don't have like a, a person that can override everything and say, well, I think you played really well late in the season, so you get in like, I don't know. It's just a tough one for me to like, you know, noodle through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. yeah. I mean, there's definitely an opportunity there with the machine learning and all the new advanced technology to kind of move towards something more like that. I mean, this is obviously the first step, but working towards something that, you know, you have a model and that's what you have and that's what decides it. And people can look at it. You can see where the teams fall all year to like be, an interesting advancement. I think you wouldn't be waiting for a selection Sunday. You you kind of know, which would be a totally different feel. I think for the tournament, but I think it's the right direction to be moving in. I think so. Like, could you imagine the you know, last last couple of days of the season? Like, you know who's on the bubble, and you know if this team wins, like they get in. If this team loses, some other team gets in. I think it would actually add a, a totally different layer of uh, of interest. Um, I guess one other thing about the the that I don't see here that I'm curious about: Did the women's did they release any? Oh, oh no! <laughs> that was going to be a really good question. I'm predicting <laughs> that uh, Ken was going to ask. Uh, we lost you there for a second. Uh, you had us in great suspense uh, after the break. There, were you going to ask if they've released the historical uh, ratings? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they have not. Um, I would say I would encourage coaches that are watching watching that we've got the herd stats rating up for the last five years, and as we said, it's going to be fairly close, certainly not identical, but they did, they chose not to. Um, that actually gets into a question that uh, I believe Coach Tony Bazella asked on Twitter here. Um, sort of, you were just talking about the bubble. How has the net um, in practice on the men's side affected the bubble team slash what do you think is going to be the impact here? Uh, I mean, I don't think it's, I, I don't know how to answer that. Like, I don't know how it's a, really changed things in terms of selection um, with respect to the bubble. Like, again, it's, you know, you're still theoretically looking at the, the the resume of a team. So the resume is, I think, a more accurately judged now using the net as opposed to using the RPI. So I think it, it in that sense, you know, makes it a, a marginally better system. But I, I guess I don't know how to really answer that in terms of how, you know, the bubble gets impacted. It's still, you know, you still have 10 people in a room that all have their own opinions and, uh, 
what comes out at the end of it sometimes is a surprise and sometimes it's not. Yeah, I mean, my take on that is, right, any of these rating systems, if they were perfect, like, it wouldn't really matter what your schedule is, right? If you only played teams that were the 200th, if you had perfect information and only played teams that were between 200 and 210th in the country the whole time and you won by 50, and, you know, someone else was, you know, playing teams that were only between 10 and 20 and were 500 or maybe even less, like, theoretically, if the ratings are doing their job or accounting for that scheduling difference, then your performance is your performance. You know, I think in practice, the challenge for all of this really is um, around sort of the inherent biases you were mentioning earlier as far as, you know, what people are going to value. Are they going to be wowed by one bad loss? You know, I don't really feel like there's a huge consensus um, on, you know, how what it means if you've had a pretty good schedule in general, but you have one random loss. I tend to think, and um, I don't know, Megan, if you want to show the, uh, the first the team sheets uh, for folk. I know you've seen those, right, Ken? Um, so it's a very similar kind of thing. And, you know, my take is you talk about the inherent biases. Like, it's just so hard for me to, you know, I know when I went through this mock selection exercise, they invited a whole bunch of media and coaches to kind of be in Indianapolis for a day and walk through the process for, I guess, would have been a region or something. Um, you know, it's just you're so anchored to the information that's on screen. Yes, thanks, Megan. I see it now. And so, you know, at the top, they've got your records, you know, the RPI number. And so I assume the net is going to be um, very um, prominent. And so it's just really hard to, like, see number 12 there. And this is the official tool of the, of the you know, the NCAA. And then, oh, but I, we don't really think they're 12. Like, it's just a natural place yeah. you're going to drift to. Um, and then, you know, we talked about the quadrant system for the men's side where they're accounting for um, home and away. Right now, they're just using these categories. But, you know, one challenge I think and is that it's hard to really make the distinction, as I said before, between like the 24th and the 26th team. And right now it really kind of affects if you're in that summary, you know, playing the 24th team, uh, a win against them, which is really essentially just as hard as beating the 26th team, you know, if they're both away or both home. Um, you know, it looks very different on your resume when you have these buckets. And so that's one reason, you know, we built – our um, compare resume tools. Maybe you can show that, Megan, as well, since you've got the controls there. Because, um, you know, what we really think is important is this ability to just kind of stack up and see how teams are playing just in kind of similar ranges, right? You might not have a lot of opportunities against the top teams, but, you know, we can say things like, oh, we can see, you know, eyeballing it that you went uh, three and one or something against teams that are roughly in this range. And, you know, this other team were considered, you know, for instance, in the, in the, Probably it would have been an Oregon-South Carolina debate about who should get the overall number one seed. Um, and I think it's not what we're – yeah, that's what we're looking at, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we can – Oregon, you know, only really played at the very top here. Um, uh, you know, sort of one – you know, the way it all stacked out when all was said and done, that UConn game really stands apart. South Carolina played an amazing schedule uh, this season. And so you can see – the question, but it sort of lets you ask, like, what would have happened if Oregon had played South Carolina's schedule? You can see that Oregon's loss was to a better team than um, South Carolina's, but you can also stack up and see, you know, consistently maybe Oregon was, and I'm not looking at the specifics now, um, you know, Oregon was beating the teams that were 30th in the country by more than South Carolina was, and so, you know, it's that a data point. And, but and because it kind of varies depending on the specific schedules, you're not quite as bucketed into, like, oh, being 24th, your opponent being 24th is much more important than being uh, 26. I think that's a real issue, and I think it's important. I saw Google um, release something like that in one of their dashboards as well. Uh, and so I think being able to just kind of look at continuously is a really important thing. 
Yeah. I mean, those are the questions you have to ask, you know, is what, uh, what would Oregon's record, because you know, we can figure that out. I'm sure you can figure that out from your ratings, but you know, we know how hard it is to beat certain teams in certain locations and you can figure out, Hey, what would Oregon's expected record have been against South Carolina's schedule? And if that is better or worse than South Carolina's record, that basically answers your question is, you know, who had the better resume, you know, you can yeah. argue about whether scoring margins be included or not. But to me, once you figured out, you know, let's just say Oregon had a better, they had, a, they would have expected to do better against South Carolina's schedule than South Carolina did. Um, you know, once you have that answer, why do you need to go into do all these, you know, 14 different criteria that the NCAA mm-hmm. is, is laying out here? Like it, it's, to me, it, it makes the process overly complicated. So what's your take if, you know, a team loses a game with their star out? Um, and so, you know, is it, should it be Oregon at full strength versus South Carolina full strength or, um, you know, how would you handle that? Yeah, I, I don't care. <laughs> but really, we don't, we, again, is Adam Silver going to, you know, uh, you know, you know, take away Toronto's NBA championship because uh, uh, Golden State? But that's not the best example. But, you know, when it comes to, like, playoffs, you know, are, are we going to change playoff seating because uh, a player was injured for most of the season? Like, you're not going to do that. You know, those are the breaks. And, I mean, it, again, that also gets complicated. Are we tracking this information for, you know, the – 80 or so teams that are in consideration for the tournament. Are we, are we tracking what happens to their opponents? So if you play a team who had somebody injured, do you like, does that get discounted? Cause you've got to win there. Like, I don't think anybody's doing that in the selection committee. So uh, yeah, to me, it's uh, yeah, I don't, I've never understood why we do that. And uh, um, I'll keep banging that drum, but it's, <laughs> well, yeah. that's, that's definitely on my wish list for putting it to the her hoop stats rating. So um, yeah, yeah, it's a pain in the butt, but you can at least see who they've, uh, you know, if someone missed a game, right? So, um, and try to factor that in. But there are all kinds here. There's all kinds of extenuating circumstances. I totally agree. Yeah, for sure. And it also really incentivizes, like, you know, not if hey, if a, one of a player is like ninety percent, you know, and she wants to play, and well, you know, what, we're playing this tough team. If we just don't play her, then the committee might not count that game. So, you know, it, it all you know just introduces sort of these weird incentives that. Uh, yeah. Again, another thing that really you don't see in any other level of sports. Like, you know, they don't do that in high school. They don't do that in any, you know, professional sports. They don't consider that. So it's it's kind of weird that it's unique to U.S. college. Aren't you incenting players then to come back when they're only fifty percent because the game's going to count regardless? I mean, you know, if they're cleared by their doctor to play, then I don't see what the problem is. If they're not cleared by their doctor to play, then they should be sitting out. Very fair. Yeah, it's a fair point. <laughs> kind of makes it seem a lot simpler than it looks right now, but maybe it should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think those criteria in the end, they just give, you know, committee members a lot of excuses like, you know, Oh, why did this team get in that team not get in? Well, you can just go down this list and find one thing that, that, you know, one reason that team deserved to be in and um, use that. And you can't really, you can argue with it, but it's just a big argument because there's all these different criteria. So there's not a real, you know, there's no set, set criteria for a team to get in. And so there's obviously, you know, if the team gets in or doesn't get in, um, uh, uh, you know, there's no like actual truth as to whether they should have been in or not. Yeah. You know, we got another question I saw on Twitter. Do you feel that people, that the committee has gotten better on the men's side of, you know, having the right teams in and having them all seated correctly um, over time? Like they're getting better at it essentially. And uh, related to that is it has the net, kind of impact, impacted that one way or the other, just the introduction of having it available even if it's not a tool they're explicitly using. Right. I think marginally, like, they've gotten better. They, uh, um, The committee does seem to at least understand that, uh, you know, just because you don't uh, 
you, you don't necessarily play in a conference where there's a lot of uh, quality wins to be had. Uh, that if you have a lot of success in that league, that that is somewhat difficult to do. And um, I think those teams get uh, a more fair look than they used to, but it's really marginal. Um, you know, uh, like I said, I think the net does a better job of like providing that baseline to evaluate resumes. But again, it's a, a marginal improvement over the RPI. And we still have these layers uh, just like we're talking about with the women's committee where, you know, the men's committee is, is a lot of subjective factors that they, they throw in there and, uh, um, things have gotten a little bit better, but uh, there's there's still a long way to go. I mean, the, the you know the one thing that I guess uh, you know I complained have complained about lately is that you know if you go twenty and zero against the schedule of teams that you know are ranked around you know let's say in the hundred to two hundred range, um, you know a mix of home and road games, uh, that's really difficult to do. Like uh, the expected record of a team that you know gets a seven or eight seed is going to be to lose two or three of those games. Right. And so if you go 20 and 0 against that schedule, even though you don't technically have any quality wins, the collection of accomplishment there is very, very good and, and should be, you know, a shoe in for the tournament, you know, under most circumstances. And uh, that's the thing that I think the committee still basically just ignores at this point. And uh, um, that's, that's the next step really. Yeah. Also on my wish list, I hope I'm not giving this all away and we'll get to, but um, I always think about it theoretically as sort of like drawing a little chart of essentially rank of the team on the X axis and your probability of winning and sort of, you know, presumably, you know, it's going down as you start to play the, the very top teams. I think it's really, I don't really know what the right answer is as far as if a team has a better chance of beating say the top 10 teams, you know, for comparing two teams, if team A is likely to do better against the very top teams and team B is maybe going to do better against the, you know, 15th to 25th team, like which one should be seated higher. I think there's still ambiguity in that, but that's definitely kind of my mental framework is trying to assess it. You know, what do we know about your example teams that are 200th and by, from there, what can we extrapolate out to the range of teams that they have not played? Yeah. I mean, and, but, you know, we have so much data going, you know, back now. I mean, I'm sure you have, you guys have tons of data and, uh, you can look at, you know, what the, what the good teams do against, you know, what the teams, you know, the teams of power conferences do, I guess, against the, the teams that are in that 100 to 200 range, like what their historical record is. And, uh, it's not, you know, especially on the road, not as good as you think it is, you know, and so, uh, it does add a little, um, you know, strength to the argument that we should be, you know, we should be moving to a system where we kind of account for, for those differences and uh, um, not get too wrapped up around, you know, machine learning and, and, you know, all these kind of like ingredients that kind of sound good. Like it sounds like, you know, it's going to create a good system, but it still leads us to a lot of like subjective uh, judgments that need to be made. Yeah. Right. I think the best route is something that's less subjective. I mean, I think this is a move in the right direction, at least when they're looking at subjective things from the woman's side. When you've got that top 25, the net top 25 is probably a lot more accurate than the RPI top 25. Just looking at, like, the top of the RPI, I think Baylor was, like, six in RPI last year. And, like, you know, clearly they were probably the third best team in the country. So then the net would have them there. So that gives them a little bit. You know, yeah, Megan, what, what did you think were some of the weaknesses, you know, having tracked – you know, the women's basketball tournament longer than I have, frankly, um, spark, you know, sort of opportunities for the committee to do things better regardless of the net. Yeah, I mean, well, I think just in general, like trying to make things less subjective overall is good. But then looking at things like when you, I don't know, accounting for strength of schedule, I think there's a big emphasis on like 
conference think has judged a lot. I think uh, this might be my bias as a UConn fan coming through a little bit too, but I think recently you've seen it a lot, like a huge emphasis on that conference strength of schedule, even if you like look at UConn's overall resume, not this year per se, but like they've played these bigger teams and they have those wins and their overall strength of schedule because of what they play in the non-conference is really strong, but there's like a bigger emphasis on the conference strength. I think we see that a lot. I think, I don't know, I feel like we kind of saw it with Tennessee last year, like kind of snuck in there at the end and... Is there a little bit of bias there? They were really close on the bubble. So I think there's some definitely some interesting kind of things going on there. But, I mean, no one's going to do it perfectly, right? It's, it's impossible. So if unless you have, you know, a concrete system where there's no subjectiveness, it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. Now, are you saying that uh, you think UConn has been seated too low uh, over the last? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, the, last year when they were at two seed, yeah, I did think that was a little bit ridiculous. But um hmm. I think in general, they've always been the number one overall team, right? Like there's really, in the past few years, there was really no debate on whether they should be that. But I think you saw yeah. it really quickly last year with the, I mean, people might disagree with me. People might think they should have been the number two seed, but. <laughs> I would bet that more, uh, there are a number of people that are watching or listening that are out of the state of Connecticut or don't root for Connecticut. <laughs> field. They probably get the benefit of the doubt, the name teams, right? You know, sort of like Tennessee, as you alluded to yeah. earlier. Uh, might get the benefit of the doubt in general and have little to complain about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, so I think it's very exciting um, that they've rolled out the net. And again, just in summary, can you still think that, you know, for all the questions people ask, you know, it, it has been a good thing. And, and I would think that just the fact they started using your stats and some other folks as well, like compared to say 10 years ago, that has, I mean, they have to be doing better just looking at more information, right? I mean, <laughs> are you at home? <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, you know, I'm not necessarily looking at more information. Like, if you're a like, you got to think about this problem here. You're looking at so many teams, and then you have yeah. now you have more information to look at. Like, sometimes I can make the problem more complicated, and you probably should be looking at making the problem more similar. I do think the awareness of advanced stats and, uh, you know, other metrics that are out there has helped. Not just having a singular focus on one measure is, uh, is a, a positive and getting away from the RPI was, was a positive. I think just, you know, really just showing like the uh, ability to change uh, is a big deal. I, we, you know, we had the RPI since 81, you know, the women's game had it since 84. Um, so it's obviously been around for a while. It's taken a while to implement this change. As we know, like college athletics struggles to implement change sometimes. So um, I'm, like, you know, obviously encouraged by the ability and willingness to change and, uh, um, this is really like kind of a, a really small step, hopefully in a, a larger journey to get to a, a more fair place to deal with all, you know, 300 plus teams in Division One basketball. Yeah. Megan, we're not going to ask you how old you were in 1984. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I agree. Hopefully it's a, it's a step. But I think, you know, they're, they're talking about evaluating it both on the women's side and on the men's side over time. I know they're paying attention to what's happening. Um, you know, I did notice one question and then maybe we should – uh, wrap it up. Uh, who run at who run the floor asked how a team like Princeton would have been perceived if that was uh, in effect this season. And we actually have a quick little graphic on that, uh, right, Megan? That showed we have them. I think uh, as you're pulling it up, sixth, and I feel like they were maybe tenth in uh, uh, the net this year. So I think it definitely can help teams like uh, Princeton, South Dakota, smaller teams, as you were sort of alluding to, uh, can smaller schools that you know might not be getting the benefit of the doubt because they don't have as many. Um, kind of marquee wins just because of the nature of their schedule. 
but it definitely, I think, should help them or at least raise awareness at the committee that some of these teams that are not getting the opportunity to play Oregon, South Carolina, Baylor, uh, UConn, schools like that can do well. And so, you know, again, we had them, yeah, I think we had them sixth and uh, the net has them 10th. And, you know, whether they're sixth or 10th, I think that's still probably higher than they were in the AP poll um, before the, the thing. And, and I think that's a good thing. And I think it's an even uh, bigger effect on teams that, you know, if the AP poll went to 100, the school might rank 80th. But then, you know, by controlling for their schedule and, you know, efficiency margin, you know, a team might jump up and actually be, you know, across the bubble or into the bubble. Uh, as they say, bubble has a totally different uh, meaning this time of uh, for these, these past two weeks as it, or two months as it has uh, when we talk about college basketball in years past. So um, cool. Well, we should probably wrap it up. We've gone a while. Ken, I really, really appreciate your time and your insight. It's great to Thank hear. So and glad to hear that you're optimistic that we're uh, on the right track, even if it's uh, one small step uh, along the way. But, you know, any step is better. Than I always say, you know, it should always be the selection committee should be the worst at their job that they ever will be this year compared to next because hopefully they're getting better. <laughs> we say that about our website all the time and uh you know the same applies uh, all kinds of things in life so thank you so much all right yeah thanks for having me on cool it's good to see you it's good to see you without a mask i hope you're uh staying safe and appro- uh following appropriate uh social distancing or distance socializing as i like to call it i like it uh, this way i have to say next time we do this uh megan on video i might have to move to uh wearing a hat or something my hair is definitely uh it never looks great but i don't know the pandemic is being pandemic is being nice to it <laughs> so what are you doing ken to pass the time besides uh thinking about basketballs i know you do 95 percent of your waking hours uh long walks with my dog and a lot of bike riding that's Oh, mountain or road? Uh, just road, yeah. Nice. Do you do a lot of mountain bi- uh, biking, uh, Megan, or not? No, I'm not a big biker. Um, I used to be a runner. I don't really think I can say that anymore mm-hmm. either. <laughs> I do. A lot of, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of walking and then, yeah, a lot of working, probably too much working. But <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of working. I really appreciate you carving out the time to uh, do this day. Yeah, I used to do a ton of road biking, like when I was in grad school and, you know, commuting by bike and stuff like that. Um, but I've kind of gotten away from it uh, since I had kids and stuff. It's just... Uh, a little bit harder so but yeah you're in utah it's lots of beautiful i assume you're doing like tons of hills and stuff yeah <laughs> tons of hills i don't know about all that but uh just getting out and exploring the city pretty much so you're not like a hardcore do you go in um a jersey or whatever no no no, no. none of that yeah. Yeah. No, i really wasn't a biker until this whole thing started and then it's like well, oh. it's, a, it's a good form of exercise to kill the day so have you gotten a flat tire in the last eight weeks i'm years? not i'm not Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Well, like I said, I'm glad to hear you're staying safe. Sounds like you're staying sane, taking care of yourself, uh, taking care of KenPomp.com, which I know is uh, critical to everyone that follows uh, men's college basketball. And uh, so, yeah, so thanks so much. It's great to uh, hang out with you, get to catch up, see you uh, live on video. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you both.